Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 332 of the Talking Chop Podcast. I am your host, Brad Rolla. It is Sunday, December the 12th in the evening, and I am joined, as often, by Eric Cole. Hello, sir. How are you? Uh, I am doing well. I have been thinking about you with Michigan's run in college football, I must say, uh, especially with nothing to think about baseball-wise. So, you know, it's been kind of nice seeing your tortured soul having to experience joy. (laughs) Yeah, it was a, a good month in November, that's for sure, between baseball and college football. And I did receive a tweet the other day. Um, number one, they asked when the next Talking Shop podcast was, in which I said Sunday. And then I, re- and then I said, uh, and then they asked me um, if, I, if we were planning to do a, a Michigan-Georgia preview episode on the show because there's nothing else to talk about. And I was like, listen, if people want that, I'll deliver it. But I, I doubt it. I mean, it, it wouldn't be fun for anybody else but me. I'd probably have a good time. But so, uh, so I have a request that if that show happens, that Chris is your co-host because that. Oh is yeah, going to be there's no way around comedy. it. Yeah, certainly. I mean, yeah. there's oh no, my uh, god, that'd be so funny. It, it Die-hard Georgia fan, Chris right. Willis. You can't do it with me and Scott. And listen, people know that I grew up uh, outside of Atlanta. Uh, I grew up firmly in UGA country, and I don't have any ill will towards UGA, but I was not a UGA fan. I did not grow up that way, so. Uh, it's kind of a personal nightmare. Uh, not only are the, are, is Michigan an underdog in the game and rightfully so because they should be, but also not everyone I know, but a lot of people I know are Georgia fans. And, uh, that's tough for me, but I'm not gonna, I, I already decided I'm not gonna like, talk, I'm, I'm not gonna talk any noise. Cause listen, it was already success for me. They won the big 10 they beat Ohio state and, uh, we'll have fun. That's happening. Not yeah, today. Exactly. <laughs> we are going to talk about some baseball today. Obviously we are mid lockout maybe even early stages of this lockout and we all know that um i purposely held back some of the positional previews slash review slash breakdowns um for this time kind of knowing the lockout was going to happen so we're going to do the bullpen today as you probably already saw with the uh, headline of this podcast uh that'll be most of the show today between eric and i but there was like a little bit of news this week and uh, we'll touch on that now and also, I want to say uh, thanks to Sean Coleman for hosting the Daily Hammer uh, a couple times a week, even though there's nothing to talk about. Sean's going to grind through. Uh, he had a good episode with Doc uh, last week and on uh, the road to Atlanta, as you are hosting, is going to st- keep cooking throughout, throughout this time. We're not going to go away. It's going to be uh, tempting to stop talking about baseball because there's nothing to talk about, but we're going to try. I promise. Yeah, we are going to do our best. It might not be quite as regular uh, because, frankly, as not kind as some of you are, that you want to hear our voice every week. <laughs> uh, or even more than that in some cases. Uh, at the same time, there's just not a lot to talk about right now, uh, and a lot of the review stuff has already happened. So, you know, we'll be digging in a deep. Uh, I'm sure that, you know, like 
Scott and I will put together some sort of like top 10 favorite movies, uh, top 10 best or worst baseball movies, things like that. Uh, some stuff that's going to be some high comedy, but beyond that, you know, it's, it's going to be a little rough until we actually have some, like at least some CBA news about it. Yeah. And speaking of that quickly, it is very quiet on the lockout front right now. There's nothing new in terms of negotiations. Nothing's been leaked. And it seems like um, they might wait till January to really talk again. Um, you know, there isn't that necessarily that even that artificial deadline right now to kind of spur things. Uh, the winter meetings were supposed to be last week in Orlando. That was on the schedule. Um, that obviously didn't happen. And uh, we're in that dead period now. We're like, usually there's the winter meetings, then there's like a kind of a flurry of activity and then it gets quiet until January. Um, not always, but usually. And now we've kind of just bypassed all that. And I'm not even sure they're, they're going to negotiate because they're not, people I think have this vision of them negotiating every day right now. And they're not even doing that. Like they're not even talking at the moment. So we're holding, we're holding tight, let's just say. And honestly, the only thing that everyone can agree on is that money is the, not, is the top issue. Like there's some talk about baseball related things, but at the end of the day, every one of the Evan Drellich or the Ken Rosenthal, Jeff Passan, everyone's like, yeah, all this other stuff's fine, but really it's the money that everyone's talking about. Yeah, I mean, that definitely it's like structurally like rules and things like that. You know, like the DH is very likely to happen. A yes. pitch clock is very likely to happen. Beyond that, though, I mean, it's about how the revenue is divided, what counts as revenue, and about service time. And both sides seem to have no interest whatsoever <laughs> in the other's proposals. And, you know, I will freely admit that I am far more skeptical of the owner's proposals, especially when you look at the proposals and it actually makes things worse for the player's side. Like, it's not actually a give. It's like, no, we're just actually going to make it to where an entire class of players is actually under team control for longer. Um, I understand why this is going to be a bit contentious and why, you know, again, I think taking a bit of a breather and understanding that both sides need to kind of get real proposals together and, you know, come together after the holidays. makes a lot of sense. You know, there's a real risk here that the Braves are just, I mean, not the, not the Braves, the players in general are going to be continuing to kind of inch closer to the owner's position. And that's not going to work, especially considering how the last CBA negotiations went down. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be a while, I think. Obviously, we would prefer that it wasn't going to be a while, but it seems like it's going to be a while. And uh, once they negotiate again, at least I, I, I assume we'll get the steady flow of leaks as we has happened every time they negotiated in the Twitter era, basically. But they're not doing that right now. So that's kind of all we have at the moment in terms of that front. And the other kind of thing, a couple of things that happened this week um, were minor league related, which uh, is, is more of your expertise than mine, obviously. Um, and not even then, they're not like huge things. At least, well, one of them is actually a pretty big deal. It's just not not too much like analysis to give. And that is that the Braves are uh, selling, it looks like, four of their affiliates, Augusta, Rome, Mississippi, and Gwinnett. And historically, like, you know, going back in the day, they were all called the Braves even like they just had, they kind of they used to own their entire farm system basically. And now they're going to own none of it, which is going to be a little bit strange. Eric, again, this is, this is your area of expertise. What should I care about when it comes to this? And what was your reaction when this kind of came through? So this is a, a, a kind of weird and a bit complicated, right? Because in the technical sense, the Braves for as long as I've been writing a talking shop and it's been for a while, I couldn't honestly tell you, the exact timeline here, but they've in terms of their full season affiliate. So we're talking about low A, high A, double A, and triple A. Um, you know, obviously with the contraction, rookie ball is kind of a, a weird situation now. 
But if we're talking about those four, just the four affiliates, you know, in terms of what most people are aware of, they owned three of those four. Um, going back, you know, a while, their high A affiliate was the Carolina Mudcats, which was not owned by the team. Then it was the Florida Fire Frogs, which was not owned by the team. Uh, and then the Augusta Green Jackets were their low A affiliate, and they were not owned by the Braves, at least as far as I am aware, uh, that that ownership was not that that ownership was not in place. Rome, Mississippi, and Gwinnett have all been owned by the Braves, and this gets a little bit. I was it was very curious to me that all the Braves affiliates got bought. Um, I'm not surprised necessarily that the Braves sold them because as soon as uh, MLB and MILB essentially stopped operating as separate entities and MLB took over minor league operations more or less, you know, canceled that agreement. It wasn't uh, two different organizations working together. It was MLB is going to be in charge of it. Wants to be have the standards of you know this is what the facilities need to be. This is what the standard of treatment needs to be for players. You know all that stuff. And, you know, we only want this number, amount of teams. We want these many players that are on rosters in full season ball that what the whispers began was that there were entities that were in play that wanted to be in like kind of work with MLB to run these teams and that have not have the actual organizations themselves run them separately. And Endeavor, which is a company that is part of a subsidiary, they own uh, over half of UFC. Uh, they are kind of involved in, in like the, the various gambling sites as well, owning a lot of them. This is a big, big corporation that owns a lot of sports assets. And they had been rumored for a while to have been like interested in like buying a team here and there. And there was a thought they might make a big push. Before the, this announcement where the Braves, all the Braves affiliates became a part of this is that there were restrictions as of now that they could only acquire nine teams per year, which in and of itself is like, you know, that there actually has to be a cap <laughs> that they can only acquire nine that tells you how aggressive this company is trying to be in terms of owning Meyer league affiliates. Um, it's entirely possible that if this initial wave, and it wasn't just Braves affiliates that got bought by Endeavor. There were some other teams that got bought as well. Uh, they just weren't quite as like just scooping up the entirety of an organization the way that Endeavor did for the Braves. Uh, and the Braves were in a unique situation because not a lot of teams own all their affiliates like the Braves. Like, they don't, like you know, Endeavor only had to negotiate with the Braves to make this happen, right? So it was a little bit easier to kind of make a deal like this happen. It, there's rumors now that, you know, there's if this goes well, that the, there'll be like an exemption put in place where if Endeavor wants to acquire more than nine per year, that they will be allowed to do so. Uh, it sounds like that it's entirely possible that before too long, they will own a third of all minor league affiliates in baseball period. Uh, and this is a big change. And I don't really know what to make of it. On the one hand, this is a corporation that has obviously a lot of resources that's, that are available and can operate at scale, which would allow it potentially to invest in like the infrastructure of stadiums, you know. I, I have nothing really bad to say about any of the Braves affiliate stadiums at this point. Uh, if we were, if the Florida Fire Frogs were still uh, a part of the organization, or you know, maybe we we're talking about some of the rookie ball affiliates, I, I might feel a little bit differently. But generally speaking, their facilities are pretty okay, especially for minor league affiliates, right? But you know, we're operating at scale. They'll want to be able to, you know, increase the likelihood that people actually want to go to games and buy tickets because ultimately they want this to be a profitable thing, not just a a funnel for player development. I don't know what that looks like though. And this is where there's a lot of 
minor league employees right now that are not happy. And one of the reasons is, is that a lot of what the, a big attraction for working for Braves affiliates specifically is that they are Braves employees. And there are perks that come with that when it comes to like playoff tickets or just you're already in the Braves organization. So if you want to move up to the big league level in some form or fashion, in some sort of front office capacity, and it's not just like the big jobs, like, you know, assistant GM, GM, you know, stuff like that. It's, what does it mean for like, you know, like the, the run of the mill media employees that maybe they want to do like, you know, the digital media stuff, but maybe at the major league level, one of the ways that you could do that was start off in the minor league level, work your way up. You make those connections and continue to do well and work well that you can ultimately, that, that would be a pipeline that doesn't exist anymore. Um, there's also questions about what kind of layoffs that could result from this because there are a lot of jobs in the minor leagues, you know, on the one hand, like, the, like you can't like centralize, like, the grounds crew, right? Like each stadium is going to have their own grounds crew, but are there aspects of like, you know, the media team, specifically the digital media team that maybe there might be one, you know, person that's in charge of ex affiliates, making sure that social media gets handled. Maybe uh, is there going to be, you know, like how Statcast data is transmitted, how or TrackMan rather uh, how, you know, just the, how the operation side is run and how do those decisions are made. And generally, those are on a per affiliate basis, but that may not be the case coming into this new agreement. And, you know, it sounds like, at least for now, that people are being guaranteed their jobs at least for next year. But I don't know how far of a reach that guarantee was. And I don't know if that's going to stick. And I completely understand that with Braves minor league employees that they feel hurt by this. They do. Um, they are upset. They were kind of basically told right after the world series that this was a, a change that was very likely to be coming down the pipeline. And the, you know, folks were pretty upset about it uh, again, because they were, they got the job. Be, one of the reasons they got the jobs with these specific affiliates and maybe moved to various locales, including, you know, you know, I mean, like you don't necessarily move to Pearl, Mississippi, or even like Augusta or Rome, unless you, you know, have a good reason for it. And one of the reasons was that it's because it kind of put them in the organization and gave them uh, at least op perceived opportunities to work within a larger organization that they held in ISC. And now that kind of that direct connection doesn't exist and people don't really know what that means for their career paths going forward. Uh, in addition to obviously concerns about layoffs, uh, when you have a, bit, a giant corporation and, you know, that isn't necessarily related to the team and isn't, doesn't necessarily care uh, about like, you know, like the, the team brand and things like that. Does that mean that a lot of these teams like the Rome Braves or the Mississippi Braves, they change their branding and they want to maybe take advantage of new merchandise? You know, the, a lot of these minor league rebrandings have been very profitable. Uh, if you, you, there's just people who will literally never see a Rocket City Trash Pandas minor league game, but they bought hats and they bought shirts because they were funny or unique or whatever. And that, it's not something that could happen. And there's pluses and minuses to all that. So the short answer is this is a big deal. Um, we haven't really seen this sort of foray from like one company to kind of acquire this many aff affiliates, period. And how that affects player development, how that affects how the teams are run, how it affects the employees and the relations with the teams and all that stuff. We this is we're in brand new territory, but I, I and I wish I had more insight other than say it is that it is a big change. But how it all shakes out, I honestly don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'd love to add. You know, way more about that stuff than I do. That's a good explanation. I hope with it, people kind of learn a little bit more about the situation because you know people just see the headline and it doesn't affect them directly, and that's kind of it lets them sort of wash over them, but. That's uh, it's good context and uh, obviously something to keep an eye on as this sort of, uh, you know, maybe the changes happen and uh, good and bad and maybe mostly bad, it seems. I don't know. We'll see.
Uh, we just it's hard to say yeah. long term it might end up being it might end up being great for the health of minor league baseball long term true but there's there's some there's some bumps that could very well happen yeah that makes sense um before we get to the bullpen stuff uh do you have any takes on the minor league rule five draft which was the actual like on field news because obviously <laughs> part of the lockout is that nothing can happen in the majors so it's like oh so and so signed a minor league contract it's kind of like d gordon signed a, a minor league contract it's like headline news um but rule five minor league, the, the, i guess i guess you could also explain what that, what that actually means because it's a a weird one no one i don't want to say no one i would say most people do not pay attention to the rule five minor league draft <laughs> when it happens uh, that 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 is fair uh, one of them that cares a whole lot about the rule five uh, is getting his greatest wish in life shouts to JJ Cooper from Baseball America. He is. gets two. He gets two uh, Rule Five drafts this year. Generally, how this works is that there's a major league portion and the minor league portion of the Rule Five draft. Uh, with the major league portion, to if you draft someone in that portion of the Rule Five draft and those players are eligible, the same cl- the, Okay, I'll back up. The same group of players are eligible for the major league portion and the minor league portion of the Rule Five draft. If you select them in the major league portion, you have to carry them on the 40-man roster. If you do not, you have to offer them back. That's generally how that process works. I got a lot of questions about the guys that the Braves selected in the minor league portion about like, well, they have to carry these guys in the 40-man. Are they going to, what are they going to be doing in the major leagues this year? Uh, And that's not what happens here. In the minor league rule five, the same groups of guys are available, but you don't have to put them on your major league roster. And there's there, it's the, in terms of like offering them back and where you can put them into the minor leagues is, is a dramatically different thing. And you see generally more movement as a result in the minor league portion. It's more selections. They're very minor though. Uh, classic example here is that uh, Gabriel Rodriguez was selected from the Braves roster. Uh, and he, he is a, a low A pitcher who has a really live arm. He strikes out a lot of guys. He has no idea where his pitches are going though. And if you're, if you're rule five eligible means that you've been in the minor leagues for a while and you have not made it past low A, what you're essentially are is a scratch off lottery ticket. And that's what he is. And a team selected him. I believe it was the Rockies that took him. I can't remember right offhand, but uh, essentially he was selected and he's no longer in the minor league system, and the Rockies can place him them where place him wherever they want. I believe if they decide to release him, that they have to offer him back to the Braves. But we're kind of getting to a weird gray area where, frankly, it doesn't matter all that much. Um, the bigger news here was that the Braves did select a, a, a large number of players. The trick here is that you can only select in the minor league portion of the Rule Five draft a number of players equal or less than the number of open spots on your AAA roster. It doesn't mean you have to place them on your AAA roster. That's just how many players you're allowed to pick. Uh, so some teams just had full AAA rosters. They couldn't select anybody. Some had one, two, three. The Braves had a bunch. So what they did is that they basically, they took John Nagowski, who's a first base prospect. He's about 28 years old. He has, he's generally hit pretty well, uh, like a former like late, late draft pick. Had generally hit pretty well until this past year. He got traded around a bit. He's a first base depth move the Braves just don't have first baseman in their system right now and you know bringing him in he has a little bit of a track record of hitting see what he can do put him in one of these spots where frankly like some of these like minor league affiliates you'll notice that when we were like talking about our first bank first base rankings and we were talking about first base in general as a position in the minors it was really really rough he kind of bolsters that depth a bit beyond that they just went for pitchers which is generally major or minor league side of the rule five draft is what ended up getting picked uh, they took Luis de Vila uh, out of the Royals organization he's a reliever he's Strikes out more than, you know, more than a batter in inning. Didn't have a great season last year, but wasn't terrible either, like a, like a five ERA. Uh, but he's only 20 years old, so maybe they feel like they can figure something out with him. 
Uh, and, you know, when a lefty can strike out better than a better, a better inning, you kind of might want to take a chance on him. Uh, Alan Willens, uh, he's kind of a, an, I would say an older guy uh, for this sort of pick. But again, uh, he's a righty reliever. Doesn't like necessarily strike out a ton of guys. Pitches off a slider. Uh, had a really good year. You know, sub two ERA is good. Um, and, you know, was striking out almost a better inning. It doesn't walk a lot of guys. That's, that, that seems to have a lot of value, particularly with the Braves is that if you don't walk a lot of guys, they'll take a ch- chance on you, especially if you find some success. Uh, they also did select uh, Tanner Andrews from the from the Marlins, but he was a member of the Braves organization for just a few hours because the Giants end up making a move for him. Uh, you could still you can't make major league moves during the lockout. You can still make all the minor league transactions you want, which is why the minor league r- rule five drafts could happen. Period. Uh, and just in a matter of a few hours, the Giants basically sent the Braves some money, presumably more than they paid to take Andrews. Uh, and now he's a member of the Giants. So not going to spend a whole lot of time there, but ultimately they end up making, they select, select four players, uh, made a little bit of money off Andrews and have some other, some more minor league depth. No one that's going to like necessarily blow your hair back in terms of overall value, just a bunch of scratch off lottery tickets and see what you get. Yeah. And that makes a lot of sense. Honestly, um, lottery tickets are what a lot of this stuff is, but um, yep. names to know, especially, and now you've learned uh, a little bit more from Eric. I have, again, nothing to add. And I'm disingenuous. I, I try not to just say things about things that I don't know anything about. And uh, I'm laying out on this one. All right, Eric. <laughs> with, with, all that, with all that out of the way, we're going to break right now. And when we come back from the break, we'll talk about the bullpen of past, present, and future. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Eric, a topic that I know something about, that's good, um, is the bullpen. So essentially what we're going to do on this, the bullpen, I have to say, and that's why we have other things in this podcast other than just the bullpen, is that um, we always say that bullpens are volatile and they don't project in the same way that other things do. Um, so I'm not going to try to act like we know what the Braves are going to be in the bullpen um, as much as we might with other things, but uh, kind of like a four-pronged way to approach this is basically how good were they last year? Who's coming back for sure? Who's a free agent from the la- from last year's team? And then who's coming in? And we'll kind of break it down that way. So looking into how good they were a year ago, everyone remembers the playoffs. We'll talk about that in a second, of course, but in the regular season, the Braves bullpen, on the whole, I want to stress, on the whole, that includes everyone, even the guys who are bad, um, they were just kind of okay. They had a 3.97 ERA in the regular season in the bullpen. That was sixth in the National League. So kind of like 
above average, but kind of near the middle. Nothing dominant. They were sixth in bullpen war as well. But on the flip side, most of that damage was done by guys who are bad. Um, only two of the top 11 guys in the bullpen for the Braves last season, um, in, terms of inning, in terms of innings pitched, had an ERA above 4.2. Not the 4.2 is awesome, but that's not like terrible. And only, I would say, you know, I guess the more favorable way to put this would be nine of the 11 had an ERA below that. And most of those guys were even well below that. The top six guys were really good. We'll come back to them in a second. Um, the biggest stuff that really hurt their ERA and their performance was like Josh Tomlin was very bad last year and pitched a decent amount of innings as the long guy. Um, Sean Newcomb was also pretty bad. But even unheralded players like Edgar Santana did some useful stuff. And we'll focus on like the Will Smith, I guess we'll just call him the night shift for now um, in a second. But I mean, absolutely. It's, impo- it's important to kind of just remember that like, yes, they were dominant in the playoffs. We'll talk about it in a second, but in the regular season, they were just kind of okay. Um, you know, Will Smith was more human at that point in time. Uh, am I saying anything that you disagree with at this point in time? I think they were just kind of, they were pretty good, but not incredible last year. Yeah. They, they, they were as a unit, largely fine. Uh, there were certainly some moments uh, from, for example, Shane Green, rest in peace, uh, Nate Jones, you know, some other guys who didn't really get it done in terms of Nate their, Jones. What a name. Yeah. Yeah. Pitched in 12 games for the Braves and uh, I'm not sh- was okay ish, except if you kind of just ignore his peripherals entirely. So um, yeah, it's a, uh, but, but the guys that they, they seem to have trusted the right guys last year, particularly in the second half. Uh, when in doubt, they just went to the guys that they knew that they could go to. And, you know, largely they, they were good. Yeah. Um, and we'll go through this more in a second. But uh, in the playoffs, they were obviously quite good with the night shift being ready, as they said. Yes. Um, the only hiccup on their profile was the Dodgers series. They had some ugly numbers in that series on the whole, but – um, even with that, you know, that's, you know, Matzik was incredible in that series. We talked about forever as you'll never stop letting us know, Eric, which is good. Um, oh, I, I, till the day I die. And that's, that's I, 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 feel, I, I feel like I'm winning the people over at least slowly <laughs> to my brick, position. Brick by brick. He is, uh, yep, yep. It away. Yep. No. one day at a time. <laughs> if I, if I, if I convince one more person per day that the top moment from the postseason run was Matzik's inning against the really two innings, but the, the one inning in particular uh, was the top moment from the postseason run, then I've, I feel like I've done my job. Yeah. Um, okay. But, on you know, on the whole, they were really good in the playoffs. Obviously, they had 3.11 ERA with 86 strikeouts and 75 innings. So they were efficient. They were dominant. Um, they had a 2.51 ERA in the World Series on the way to the victory. Um, and as we talked about forever, Will Smith, spotless ERA in 11, out, 11 outings. Uh, uh, Shasta yeah. Will Smith. Uh, Jesse Chavez was perfect in seven appearances no, with, with zero ERA. Tyler Matzik, a 1.72 ERA with 24 strikeouts in 15 and two-thirds innings. Is that good? Oh, I mean, it was good. I'm surprised that he had an arm left after, you know, especially the first few games of the World Series. Listen, like, you, that, you, that... you go all in, you go all in, and they were all in. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, He Um, he was really good up until the end. So I, he was fine. It worked. Uh, Fortunately, he's big and strong. Uh, Even, you know, Chris Martin had a good playoffs um, quietly. AJ Minter had a good playoffs. Um, That was, that was a surprising one for me. Yeah. Um, All that happened. Uh, The one guy who was good in the regular season, it was not good in the playoffs was was Luke Jackson. Um, But we'll get into that now. So the guys who are coming back, let's just say the nucleus of the bullpen from last season is under contract, which is a positive even with bullpens being a little bit more volatile than other things, 
Will Smith, Tyler Matzik, AJ Minter, Luke Jackson are all under contract for next season. Uh, in addition to guys like Dylan Lee and Spencer Strider and Sean Newcomb, if they want him to be there, uh, Tuki Toussaint could be in the bullpen. Jacob Webb could be in the bullpen. Waskar, you know, it could be in the bullpen. They have some other guys, but um, I think we're comfortable with the four top guys coming back. Um, anything that you want to add to that before we sort of dive into the guys individually? Because, you know, they, they are losing a couple of, well, maybe not losing. They are, some of the guys are free agents. Jesse Chavez is a free agent. Chris Martin's a free agent. Um, Rich Rod is now a free agent. Edgar Santana, et cetera. But the top four are kind of not up for debate as, as, as to who they were last year and their usage and all that stuff. And they're all coming back. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the only thing that's really, if you look at the top three specifically, and if you're, if you're traditionally minded in terms of guys' roles in a bullpen, your seventh inning, eighth inning, and ninth inning guys are all lefties. And I mean, kind of, I, I will say that like he, you know, Snicker has definitely used Luke Jackson I would say in a comparable role to AJ Minter. Like I know, I know in the playoffs it wasn't I, I, much different, but you know, just saying. I guess my point is, in, in tr- amongst high leverage situations, they're only got righty. If we'll talk about him now, that they were willing to bring in was Luke. Yep. And Luke is a weird case. He has been a weird case for a while, where it's been you know I, you know, like to go to people on Twitter about the Luke Jackson experience, where you know it was never easy. Uh, you know, we had the year where he looked, you know, the peripherals were awesome and he just had like awful luck and he just had these innings that just looked far worse than they really were in terms of what happened in those games. Uh, he certainly had a couple, you know, balls that, you know, barely dropped fair or had no business getting hit out of the ballpark in the, in the, in the playoffs. But this year, especially post foreign substance ban on, you know, for pitchers, that his peripherals took a dip, right? And if you're top, if your only righty that you're willing to use in high leverage situations has some scary peripheral stuff going on, that's something you may want to fix. They may have fixed that, and we'll talk about him later, uh, at least maybe in the long term, or maybe I guess the best way to describe that signing is medium term. Um, but you know, that, that's the one thing that I can take away from it. The, the, in terms of a core of like, the, you have four guys in your bullpen that you feel like you can trust in most, if not, well, you have a certain amount of trust in, in most situations, <laughs> uh, you know, your results may vary and opinions will differ on this. Uh, I still think Will Smith is scary. Uh, I know he looked good in the, in the playoffs. And I, I think that there was some, you know, some old school chicanery involving, you know, he realized that maybe he was tipping some pitches and went the extra mile of using those tips to his advantage and, you know, doing some quick pitching against Christian Yelich. I think Michael Brantley had no earthly idea uh, that when he struck him out in game one, that, that, that pitch was coming in that direction because he thought it was something else. Uh, you know, and hey, I'm all for it. All I want all the gamesmanship. I could tell you exactly what those what those ticks are or anything like that, but the quality of those two players and the reactions that they got to what happened in those at bats makes me think that they the Braves realized something and they use it to their advantage. But overall, based on pure stuff and the amount of warning track outs that Will Smith records on a day-to-day basis, I don't know if I would trust him as much as others would. But in terms of like having four guys of that caliber, that's a good, really good place to start with the bullpen because at the end of the day, it's so volatile. You can't ask for that much more than those guys. Yeah, that's, I would agree with that. You know, Will Smith famously was not trusted during the season that he actually ended up with a ERA of 3.44, which I think was lower than people would have realized that it was. 
in the regular season last year, like he was not bad. I know it felt like he was bad, but he wasn't um, on the whole. Like, was he dominant? Absolutely not. And even as much all- as we were, we were tongue in cheek about it, he was not the guy that anyone felt comfortable with. But well, and he, that's because of the sheer number of three one games he entered in, and the first <laughs> pitch he threw went 450 feet to dead center. And they won times. that game three two yes. with two runners on. But yes, he got the job done. I understand it did happen both Listen, sides. Yep. I mean, yes. yeah, I, I get I get all sides too. I, I did think and said as much during the, during the season that he got a little bit too much heat, but at the same time, he wasn't incredible, and that's worth pointing out. He's making a lot of money. This is the last year that his, that his guaranteed money, by the way, coming up is $13 million. They have a club option after that if they want to use it. But uh, it'll depend on how he pitches this year, of course. But he's coming back. You got to say that he's an above average option uh, at a minimum. You know, take the money away and no one would say that he's not a good reliever. He is. It's just, you know, that he's firmly entrenched as, as the closer and we'll see. Um, you know, Matzik was utterly dominant in the playoffs, as we talked about before, ended up having a good year last year, you know, mid-twos ERA. He did walk a lot of guys in the regular season, which I actually kind of forgot until I was looking this up. He had, he had a walk rate of like almost six per nine. But it was pretty rough. I'm not really sure what to make of that, but he clearly found it in the playoffs. But I will say, you kind of mentioned it tongue-in-cheek earlier, but it could be a little bit of a concern how much he pitched in October. Um, I'm not saying it's going to break him down or anything, but – um, at least my my worry level is like one percent higher because of how many how many pitches he threw. But he's still good, and the story is what it is. It's obviously an awesome story, and the stuff though is it plays. It, it wasn't like he's fooling anybody in terms of like smoke and mirrors. He is just overpowering people, and that seems to be real as long as he's healthy. Yeah, when you throw ninety nine from the left side, that's hard to hit. So, and he did, and more importantly, to to your point of how f- feeling afterwards, I would have been more concerned if I felt the stuff looked worse towards the end of that. Does yeah, that make sense? Yeah, you're right. And he, even like, you know, mean, game six, you ran him out there and it was him, you know. He, he'll get beat every once in a while, and that's something that's just going to happen, particularly the way he was being used as, like, the ultimate putter out of fires that, yeah. you know, and eventually, you know, when you're put in rough situations constantly, it just, you know, sometimes you're just going to get beat and it'll – often he'll putting against really good right-handed hitters too. I mean, there's only so much you can do uh, that, you know, those platoon advantages, they, they exist. And uh, as a result, but overall, I mean, Matzik was great. And, you know, the, the, the walk rates, uh, he, it was earlier in the year and especially the adjustments again, after kind of, you know, what, what stuff you're allowed to use on your hands to get grip and things like that. I'm, I'm willing to give these guys a bit of a pass on some of this stuff because at the end of the day, like it, I'm not even accusing any of these guys of like using like the spider tech stuff, which seemed to be the great, most grievous thing. But when you only have access to rosin and you're having to relearn how to grip and how your hand ball comes out of your hand and you're using these really slick balls. And it sounds like that there's like multiple different types of balls that were being employed by Major League Baseball, which is an entirely different conversation and one that I think is going to feature prominently in the <laughs> CBA talks. Yeah. Um, uh, overall, like I, I, I'm willing to give these guys a pass, especially if there's some command issues. And it seems like most of those guys made the necessary adjustments to at least be effective. Yeah, I would agree. Um, AJ Minter is a weird one for me because, as everyone knows, when he looks good, it looks awesome. And he's had some huge moments. Um, last year in the second half when he came back from being sent down, which is worth remembering, he was so bad last year they had to send him down. That is noteworthy. Yep. Uh, Mentors basically had a couple of different times where he was, you know, for, I mean, people kind of, I'm sure people remember this now, but he was the closer for the Braves a few years ago and kind of fell off the face of the earth and then came back. Uh, this year he kind of fell off again and came back. 
and was awesome. But in terms of, you know, relievers are not trustworthy in general year to year, <laughs> but AJ Minter might be like an extreme example of that. Like he just may be weird, but he also might be awesome. I have really don't need, I really don't know. And I'm not going to act like I do, but I've just, it, the context is important because he's had a couple of times now where he's kind of just lost it. And that does happen to relievers, but it has happened particularly to him more than most guys. I mean, there's been injury stuff too, but can you just rely on AJ Mitchell to be good? I, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. Yeah. And there's, I mean, there's a lot of weirdness with Minter, right? Because I mean, like last year was a COVID year and that's, you know, like what, what conclusions do you draw from him being bad? A lot of guys weren't good. Uh, that should be good. And that's in, in that situation. And then there was also like, he was injured in spring training uh, before a season. And that like really threw him off once. This is too straight. I mean, you're right in the sense that he's had multiple times where he's just like, you know, like fell off a cliff and then came back to be awesome. But there's also like two straight playoff appearances where he was nailed. I know that we talk <laughs> we, we, we yeah. talk when we talk about when we talk about Tyler Matzik, but when Charlie Morton broke his leg in game one, low key, AJ Minter saved the Braves. Because not only was he awesome, he gave them innings and he did it against the Dodgers last year, too. He threw a bunch of innings and allowed them to stay in a series that where they were gassed and no days off and they're going to have to use the really lean on the bullpen. And he just threw multiple innings and was great. And he'll get beat sometimes. Uh, sometimes, you know, his fastball catches too much at the plate. Sometimes basically whatever pitch he's throwing, if it's not really kind of getting a lot of movement, it'll happen. Sometimes he'll back up on him, uh, whether it's kind of that weird cutter slider of his, um, you know, sometimes he gets hit. And sometimes he can't find the zone. It's not a consistent thing with AJ, but when he's awesome, he's awesome. And they seem that when when he they need him in big big spots, like he's their guy. And well, I say the guy, he is definitely a guy. And more often than not, if we're just being honest about it, he gets the job done. Now, when he does implode, it is a glorious, glorious, <laughs> spectacular implosion because yeah. he doesn't like he doesn't like go ah. Oh, Gave up a walk and a double. It's like, you know, like just gets annihilated and all of a sudden it gets pretty brutal. So uh, overall. Yeah. Yeah. I, I hope and think that he'll be good. I just uh, at least want to point out, I think we sort of remember that he has not always been the most consistent guy in the world. Um, and then you have Luke Jackson, you know, he had a great regular season last year, which I think has been forgotten on some level. He had a sub two ERA. He led the team in terms of guys with real innings last year in ERA. Um, his peripherals were a little bit worse than that. You know, he stranded a lot of guys. Ground ball rate's always really high from Luke, which is a good thing, but also add some, you know, randomness, some variance in there. But I still think that Luke Jackson's good. Uh, I don't think that they bail on him, which is good. I mean, we were kind of yelling that they were not going to bail on him when he had the bad outing against the Dodgers, and he did his job in the World Series. It wasn't like he just, like, fell off a cliff after that appearance. He, he came back and was fine. So I think Luke Jackson, as, as your fourth-best reliever, maybe your fifth-best reliever if Kirby Yates comes around, as we look ahead in a second, um, that's totally fine. Like, Luke Jackson – may have some ups and downs because of the way that he just operates. His stuff is interesting and he's not the guy that guy's going to strike out 15 per nine, but he is a good reliever. And that's a, a guy that I think I trust on some level. Like he might be ups and downs, but I do think that Luke is a solid cog and might be underrated again. He went from underrated to maybe overrated to underrated again. I don't know. He's good. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the slider when it's sliding is a very, very good pitch that it and, is. He gets, and he gets swings on it. Now, the good news there is that when the pitch is good and people are swinging at it, they don't hit it or they hit weak ground balls. However, when it is not good and he leaves it up, 
it gets hit very hard. So, uh, but overall, you're, I think you're 100% right. He's not, he doesn't have to be your best reliever. He is your probably, he is your best righty. And he's being put in some important situations, but not necessarily the most high leverage of situations. They have options that if things go south, they can bring in to put out those fires. You know, again, you know, Matzik saving the day is a classic example there. But overall, Luke is a good reliever. He will be volatile. Uh, it'll be interesting to see kind of what the peripherals look like next year because the, even his peripherals are not consistent season to season, right? So it's, it's hard to say what he will be, but I think he will overall be good. Uh, I don't think he'll be amazing. But I think he'll 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 get the job done. And again, that the kind of guy that gives you like reasonable production and you can put in big spots and more often than not, things generally go pretty well. Like those are important guys having your bullpen. Yeah, and for some some context, it's a it's a three-year sample size, but uh, the Braves have three of the top like 25 or 30 relievers in the national league since 2019, according to Fangraphs War. And it's Jackson's one of them, it's Jackson Smith and Matic are three of the top like 26 or seven in the national league over a three-year period, which doesn't may not sound like much, but when there are 15 teams in the league and you got three of the top 27, you're doing pretty well. And then you throw in mentor, et cetera. Um, it's not a bad place to be. I think Luke's been better than people realize that he's been for multiple seasons. Um, much as before, but the free agency list is there's some guys that we know, but not anybody that you're like, was a sleepover, you know, Jesse Chavez, older guy, 37, uh, Chris Martin up and down injury stuff, but he's usually good when he's pitching. Uh, Rich Rod is, you know, nor the uh, the non-tender probably means he's not going to come back unless there's an emergency. Um, Edgar Santana is a free agent, and then Josh Tomlin might retire slash is a free agent. Um, we'll come back to that in a second, but the guys who we know are joining the bullpen, uh, Kirby Yates is the headliner. We did a podcast, I think it was Scott and I talked about Kirby Yates when he signed. Um, he had Tommy John on March 24th, so everyone kind of realizes that it might be a while. He's not going to start the season in the bullpen, I don't think, but – um, basically had been one of the best two or three relievers in baseball over like a three-year period before he started having the arm issues. He is older. He'll be 35, but certainly a true boom bust. Like when, if he's the guy he used to be, he's really awesome. And he might just never come back. I don't really know. <laughs> do, you have, do, you have, do you have a Kirby Yates opinion, Eric? Um, I think that if he is healthy, he will be good. Uh, I think he will be 35. Yes. And 35-year-old relievers, the track record, spotty if, at if best. You're, if you're my age, uh, my antenna's up, and that's that's all I am. So. Yeah. I have not had Tommy John surgery, and I know that if I tried to throw baseball as hard as I could 15 times, um, I would be feeling it, to be sure. Uh, also of note is that this isn't his first Tommy John surgery. Correct. Uh, this is uh, – he had one early, early on. 2008. Um, before, he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. B- before he was even drafted. So Tommy John number two – is a little bit of a different animal than Tommy John number one. Um, you know, the, the recovery rate in Tommy John number one is pretty good at this point. Uh, but if once you get to number two, it's, it, it's significantly worse, especially since you're, I mean, when you're older, it's just, you don't, you don't heal the same way. You just don't. So uh, I like the deal that the Braves signed him to, you know, you don't really owe him real money this year. You know, he had Tommy John pretty early last year. I don't necessarily think he'll open the season with the team, but I think he actually could be in the bullpen reasonably quickly by summertime uh, i would i would think unless again he gets a setback which is entirely possible i think he's a really useful arm particularly as a right-handed right-handed arm kind of giving you guys giving you more options could be a steal of a deal uh to, considering if he's anywhere like if he's 80 percent of the guy he was 
before, you know, pre-injury, you know, you know, early thirties, even then you've gotten yourself a real steal for this bullpen. It's just hard to know what he's going to be. So I, I reserve judgment, but I'm, I'm, you know, the deal was good. So I have no issues. Yeah, I agree. We're on the same page there. Um, other guys who are at least on, on paper, a part of the bullpen, at least a part, a potential part of the bullpen, Darren O'Day's back. On a minor league deal, speaking of old guys, Darren O'Day is even older. Yeah, yeah. Um, but same same thing, though. When he has pitched the last three or four years, even at his advanced age, he's been very good. It's just that, can he be healthy? I don't know. Um, it's a good flyer, though, in a minor league contract. And then Jay Jackson, I don't know much about it all. I know you covered some of that when they got Jay Jackson. Uh, thoughts? I have no idea, really. <laughs> uh, I mean, sure. You know, like, he's this, that, that just seems kind of like a, a inexpensive move to a guy that has had – a reasonable amount of success as a bullpen arm. It's just when you get a guy, right? when, I mean, yeah, yeah, it's, it's depth and it's, it's from an organization that you maybe you trust that they made a decision to bring him into the organization from the giants for a reason. Right. So like maybe that there's something about what he does and how he executes things that, you know, is maybe uh, kind of scratches the itch analytically. And maybe you think you can get some value out of him there. Darren O'Day. I mean, I, I, it just it blows my mind that he continues to hang around the league as long as he does, and he's good. You know, I mean, when he pitches, he's good. Yeah, he's, that's he, why. No, he ha, uh, that's, I I know it. It doesn't make much sense because it just doesn't seem like he always has a ton left. But he he doesn't give up a lot of hard contact. Generally speaking, I know that one uh, one well known soccer writer, a friend of mine, is very happy that he's back in the organization. So I'm sure that that like at least from a kind of a pure entertainment for me perspective then, you know, having him back again was, was good news. And more importantly, the Braves know him. And as a guy, that if they see him in the minor leagues and he's performing well, they can bring him in, you know, to be your second to last or last bullpen piece, and he will be fine. Um, if he can't stay healthy or, you know, Father Time finally catches up with him, then so be it. This is just a minor league deal. Yep. But, you know, I mean, Darren O'Day has a long track record of being a very good reliever in this league. So if, they, if he's on a minor league deal and he's, you know, pitching well down there in Gwinnett, and they need a reliever, you can do a lot worse than Darren O'Day. Agreed. Um, from there, uh, one, of, one of my prompts that I gave myself is like, what do they need in the bullpen? And the answer, at least in my mind, is not, not much at all. You know, Yates is obviously the big ticket addition if they can get something out of him for this year. And he's very cheap for this year, the way they structure the contract. Um, and, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if they didn't bring in anybody else that was like well-known. I mean, they have depth. I, mean, I guess I should ask you, who else you think might profile well in this bullpen between like the guys they have left over your, your webs, Dylan Lee, Spencer Strider is obviously someone that you uh, know very well. And is a high upside guy. Uh, Sean Newcomb has been tendered and could be back for cheap. Uh, Tukey's still looming. You have the, the Kyle Wright, Bryce Wilson <laughs> group of people. That just well, kind of, no, no, no more Bryce. Wilson. I know. I'm no just more. saying that there's that whole nah. tier of like former starters that it's like, it's like they are always yeah. friendly on, on our bullpen list and they kind of never make their way down there between Tukey and Wright and Muller and whoever else. Um, do you, I mean, okay. I guess a, do you want to resign anyone that's a free agent right now of the veterans and B is there anybody that you're going to go to bat for as like this guy needs to be in the bullpen? I wouldn't mind if Edgar Santana was back. Um, I know that he had times where he wasn't awesome, but He's as fine. kind of a yeah, as like a junk innings guy, that's the kind of guy I like. I don't have any interest in bringing back Josh Tomlin. I understand that you know as a clubhouse guy and kind of like a a senior leader of that bullpen. I I understand, but he's he he's been hurt. He didn't look good when he wasn't hurt. Uh, I'm kind of done. Jesse Chavez, I I guess you could bring him back if you really want to. 
he's a bit of I, I am never going to be a fan of like junk baller relievers, but he might be the best of the bunch. So if you're going to do it, I guess use him. Chris Martin's just so I just he was a, a guy that was really, you know, post sticky stuff ban that looked particularly affected by it. Uh, obviously, he's had a lot of trouble staying healthy as well. So I, I wish that that wasn't the case, but you know, those long levers, you know, as the big frame guy just can't seem to stay healthy, wasn't the same pitcher, despite the moderate success, I would call it in the postseason, being kept out of really in the most important situations. Um, I don't think there's any chance that Rich Rod comes back. I think that that relationship has been severed, you know, you know, the, the, the playoff roster decisions, uh, basically said all we need to know about how the Braves feel about that particular situation. Yeah. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind that Edgar Santana was back. Uh, I would, you know, I wouldn't mind. I mean, I think Jacob Webb belongs in this bullpen. Uh, one is a righty and two, I think he's been much better than people give him credit for. Dylan Lee don't have strong feelings about it. He feels more like a pitchability guy. Uh, that's a real uh, serious starter. Dylan Lee, sir. Yeah. How'd that go? Well, not, 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 not all that well, but it, it <laughs> happened. <laughs> um, I think that the Braves want to stretch out Spencer Strider as a starter. I don't think that he starts off in the bullpen. He basically, I think he has to fail as a starter for that bullpen thing to happen. You know, the end of the season, put him in the bullpen for the world series run or the postseason run rather. Uh, I understood that, but you know, going into the season, I don't think he's like, they're going to just automatically just be put in the bullpen. I think they've just put too much work into him and advanced him too quickly as a starter to make that move. I'm not interested in seeing Sean Mokum in the bullpen. Um, I think hey, that, Eric, you know, he's going to be there. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me seven or eight times, shame on me. Uh, and Newcomb's had all the opportunities in the world, both in the bullpen and as a starter, and he's it hasn't gotten the job done. I don't I mean, I understand that it's cheap. I don't know why they tendered him a contract. Uh, you you answered you answer your own question because it was cheap. Um, yep, yeah. That was and, really you know, Yep, and Tuki Inoa, like Inoa is, uh, are you going to put him in your rotation or not? And if you're not, then what does he look like in the bullpen? If, it, if it's me, it. if it's me, I, I've said this before, I'll say it again. Uh, I would not have Eno in, in the rotation unless forced to do so. I think he's a reliever. I thought about the entire time, uh, and that has not changed. I'd have, him, I'd have him in the bullpen. I think he might be good in the bullpen. I just don't – I don't see it as a starter. I kind of never have. I could be wrong still. Um, he, he had some flashes last year, but I think coming into the season, if you're banking on him as, in the rotation, I don't, I don't understand why. He, he'd be a good option like as a seventh starter, like a guy who could give you some depth if you get some injuries. But if, he's, if you're going into the season with him as your fifth starter, I don't, I don't know why. Honestly, I think he needs to be the long man. That's what I sure. think needs. Yeah, to that's fine. Uh, and and I, I've been historically lower on Enoa. Uh, others have, you know, were when he added to that first half, he had uh, were happy to go. Eric, you know, you said he was a bullpen arm. Look what he's doing as a starter. And then what happened? He just got hurt. Then couldn't get back into the rotation when they needed him, and was kind of an afterthought after that. So I'm I'm still in camp. He is an old reliever. I think it could be a good one. I am. I think he kind of needs to be the long man, especially I mean, you, the, the, the guy that they were kind of relying on as their long man was Josh Tomlin. And that shouldn't happen again. Um, maybe you do that. As, maybe you do that with Tukey instead, but uh, Tukey kind of has his own reliability questions. So if it's me, I have, you know, on my roster, I have him in my bullpen uh, typically for like, you know, when your starters out after two innings or whatever, like that's his job. And I think he could be good at that, but overall, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not team Waskar in the rotation. Yeah. I think he's a capable depth piece in the rotation. We'll I'll save the rotation for another day, but uh, I would be looking at him as a potential bullpen arm. 
on this team. And listen, they could also acquire people outside the organization. Uh, they're not done with the bullpen necessarily. I guess they probably could be if they had to be. But uh, it wouldn't blow me away if they wouldn't sign somebody. It's not going to be a, a, an expensive guy, I don't think. I think they're probably done with the high-end guys, with Yates, mm-hmm. what they have coming back. But they could just go find, like, another Jay Jackson, basically. Another guy like that. Yeah. Non-roster invitees to spring training. This, this team has been not been afraid at all to guys that you would not think would have been on the radar at all. Invite them to spring training if they pitch well or they like what they see. Even if the results aren't great, then they put them on the spring training roster. One example of that. Mr. Tyler Matzik. So it worked out pretty well. Um, yep. So big picture before we get out of here. Uh, it's, it's obviously very early. Things can change. I'm not going to try to like slot them in versus other teams. Cause it's, you know, everybody's kind of incomplete right now, but having the four tremendous guys, at the end of the bullpen, plus the potential of another guy in Yates puts them in a pretty good position. Um, you know, the depth is interesting. It's not like, worse or better than most other teams depths i don't think in terms of the bullpen like five through eight six through eight six through nine that kind of thing but i think they're in a good position i'm not gonna go out and yell about how they have to sign some more relief help right now and that's probably where it's probably a good place to be with knowing the lockout and the the scrum what's gonna happen when it's over they don't have to do anything else in the bullpen which makes me feel pretty good about it um but it also may not be elite if that makes sense there's a world in which if kirby yates can find it in june and it's healthy and old Kirby Yates, they now have like a top three, five bullpen in the league. If guys regress or you get an injury or whatever, maybe they're more middle of the pack. So I don't see a lot of downside potential, knock on wood, for like a complete blow up in the bullpen, but there is some volatility as there is for most bullpens in the world. Yeah, I think the best way I know how to think about it is that they're more likely to be awesome than to be a weakness on this team. I think so too. Right? Yeah, um, Even because even if Yates isn't amazing like the top four that they have are good enough and have the upside to be have the upside to really kind of carry them in a lot of ways but you know as you said like relievers are so volatile and you're talking about guys that's getting like you know getting up in age more mileage on those arms it doesn't take much for a bullpen to get derailed if will smith got hurt or if tyler matzik got hurt we're having very different conversations right but that's that's just the nature of the beast with bullpens and the Braves have positioned themselves really well in terms of what spot they are in going into the season, even if they don't make any other moves. I imagine again, they'll probably do some like, you know, like minor league deals, non-roster spring training invites, things like that. They have some, they have some options that are available to them going into spring training, even if they don't do anything else that I think this old bullpen will be a strength for the team, The how big of a strength that is. We'll see. Yeah, that's, uh, that's well said. And clearly, if things change, we'll come back and talk about them as the season approaches. But that's sort of a, a rundown of what they have uh, on the books right now. You know, this is not an area where they're turning over a lot. Uh, spoiler alert, they'll be turning over a lot elsewhere. So we'll have even more to talk about and uh, some holes, some legitimate holes to fill on this roster. But right now, bullpen is not one of those holes to fill. So that's all I have on, on the show today, Eric. Unless you have anything else to add other than unless you, unless you want to dive into the full, um, like, Freddie Freeman rumor experience which i don't really want to do at the moment uh i I still i will i will share my my only real thought is that i still am leaning that freddie returns simply because i don't know how the braves justify some of the other moves they've made uh particularly like signing shorty morton to a 20 million 20 million dollar deal and then just not putting together the money to bring back freddie but i will say that if it was a sure thing 
he'd already be signed by now. And the more you let teams that have a lot of money and know that Freddie Freeman is a good baseball player, talk to him about actual numbers. <laughs> and those numbers are generational wealth numbers that there's legitimate concern. And the people who were kind of hand-waving of like, oh, it's a big, not a big deal. It'll be fine. They'll work something out. All those people are now nervous and they should have been nervous a while ago because again, if this was a sure thing, it would have been done already. And I think that now Freddie's a lock to get a sixth year uh, wherever he signs. I still think the Braves will end up giving that to him. And that's what the deal ends up being. But there are some teams with a lot of money that would be very, very happy to have Freddie Freeman in their, you know, in their clubhouse. Now the Braves have to kind of contend with that. So. Yeah. And uh, I've said this before, but I will say it again the nature of free agency is that even if the Braves had the best financial offer, he can still leave if he wants, if he wants to, which means there's a lot more uncertainty. Um, The thing that I had written down and which uh, I know you've seen, but for listeners sake, um, Ken Rosenthal, who is either number one or one a in terms of reporters around baseball uh, reported that Freeman's return is quote, no longer can be viewed as inevitable end quote. So. Yep. Not great. Uh, still, I mean, yeah. I will say every single reporter that I think is trustworthy has still said it's more likely than not that he returns, but the door is open and uh, we'll do this exact same segment next time we do the podcast and nothing will have changed, but here, here we are. Not, not, not a thing because no negotiations are happening, at least nothing official. And if stuff starts leaking, then, you know, we might be talking about, you know, folks getting fined and things like that for, you know, having contact with with people when they're not supposed to and all that stuff so if you if there's news about freddie freeman one of two things are true one the lockout's over in which we have a lot to talk about or it's not and it's probably completely fake or not supposed to be happening yeah well said all right uh that will do it for today's show again we will have content on a regular basis on our podcast feed between this show between road to atlanta between the daily hammer with sean um you know, as everybody is in baseball, we're kind of just trying to figure it out right now. We'll have at some point an infield breakdown. We'll have some point an outfield breakdown. We'll have a rotation breakdown. Uh, that Those will be happening. I can guarantee that. And then for, once those are exhausted, if the lockout, lockout continues, we'll be talking about all kinds of things. So who knows? But if you have suggestions or questions or mailbag things or anything you want that you want to hear us talk about, I'm open to that. Please send them all to at Leprechaun. That's at Leprechaun. Uh, no, you, you we, no, no, see, no, see, you already know what's going to happen. <laughs> I want a lot of top 10 Ozzy Albies trade proposals sent to at BT Roland. Uh, did you see the stat? Um, this is not the lineup podcast. Did you see the stat where Ozzy is like number one in the majors among second baseman and home runs dating back to like 2013 and he didn't debut till like 20, was it 2018 when he came up? It's not outrageous. Yeah. I saw, I can't remember where it was. I should, I, should have, I should have written it down. I saw it on my phone, but it was like, Four, if you go like four years before Ozzy debuted, he's still the leading second baseman in home runs, which is just outrageous. <laughs> he's really good. I, I, he's got some competition there. I, mean, I, have to, I have to look at that again because I mean, like Jose Altuve hit a bunch of home runs, so like I'm, I'm not even sure how that's possible. I'm, I mean, I'm Ozzy's been, I maybe, maybe, Ozzy's maybe, been, maybe it was National League second baseman. It might know. be, it might be. Uh, but Ozzy's, Ozzy's been very, very good at second base. Uh, if Brad had had his way, Literature he wouldn't style. be a member of the org. He well, or he would have been in the organization at all. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> one day we're gonna uh, have listeners that will have no idea what we're talking about um and maybe, that'll be good for me i think but. i'm sure we have some of those but fortunately the listeners who have been there since episode one are more than happy to remind them exactly what that bit is about and if you happen to encounter some of those people on the interwebs listeners long time uh please uh educate folks on why brad hates ozzy albies please and thank you it's not true i love ozzy albies i, I ride for him all the time he's very good uh at any rate that's it for us today. Please follow Eric at Leprechaun with a K. Um, Eric, anything to plug for you out of here or we can just sign off? Uh, yeah, just we've been doing a ton of work on the site on the play, the review series, both in the major league and minor league side. It is wall to wall, baby. It is. If a player was on the Braves roster in any form this past year, we have an article about that player on the site. So make sure you go look that up. I had to write actual words about Chadwick Trump uh, <laughs> uh, as, as an example of this, uh, but I also wrote up Ronald Cunha Jr. So, you know, everything in between was covered. I think so the sure one that, that, got, that got me the most was maybe Kevin Smith. There was one that I was like, I just, I literally had a laughing fit when I saw the tweet come through that we published it. And I can't remember which one it was. I think it might've been Kevin Smith. Well, well, I mean, he was, well, he was a meme anyway, right? Like, and you know, there's like, there's like weird Twitter stuff around like him and his family and all that stuff. So I, that like that there's, there's a lot of reasons to laugh about that one, but, uh, and we've also done it on the minor league side and the minor league side is going to be one that is going to the major league side. If it's not finished rolling out, I have to look, it's really, really close. I think it might be over. Yeah. At this point. Yeah. And so the minor league side is the ones finishing up now. And we did all the players that were on our top 30 prospect lists uh, in addition to a few other players the ones that were drafted or guys that were like kind of interesting that after our top 30 list came out so make sure you read those that's finishing up i imagine that will finish up this week uh so you can look at the site major league minor league if you're wanting to know about what's going on in the minor leagues or what happened last year you know what happened to that guy uh over on the on the major league side or where's how is this prospect that you care about that maybe no one else does uh we did our absolute best to cover everything wall to wall for you guys uh, it was a lot of work to be certain but you know the response has been great from you guys so just make sure you keep reading those articles and you know helping us out because you know as we go through this lockout especially with no cba news you know the all the support we can get, get the better I would say the two that Eric wrote that I'm looking at now that are probably the biggest in terms of headlines would be Grant Dayton and Johan Camargo would have been the two that I would point out as Eric specials. Um, I I will say this is a sign-up process, and I hope our staff appreciates the fact that I know that no one wants to write those guys up, and I generally fall on the sword of the when in doubt, I'll just take the ones that I know no one wants. Um, I sometimes do that on the, the prospect list too, especially with guys like we've written up like five or six times. I'll take the guys that we've written up a whole bunch and things like that. So, you know, I, I, I'm willing to, I, I took a couple guys that, you know, I took Acuna uh, and I took my Canadian son, obviously, but you know, I, I do have a bit of a reputation for, you know, the guy, if it makes you go, who question mark, uh, I probably wrote him up. Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, uh, you can follow me if you'd like to at BT roll and follow the show at talking chop, as well as the entire site led by Chris and friends. Uh, and yep. please, please, please subscribe to the podcast. Um, a lot of you have already done that, and I really, really appreciate it. If you have already done it, the, the best thing you can do is to leave five-star reviews on your platform of choice, whether it be Apple or Spotify or wherever you like listen to podcasts. And also, tell your friends. There are so many Braves fans in this world, and I always say that to people that are not Braves fans. Like, look, this is the biggest fan base in the sport, probably, in terms of just, like, actual volume of people. Uh, and I'm sure a lot of them have never heard of this podcast. So please tell someone that you know that likes the Braves about this podcast that will do wonders for us. If they hate us, 
that's on us, I guess. But until until they hear us at least one time, they have to give us a chance. But I say all that to say <laughs> strong, strong disagree. They have no problem saying us if they don't listen. Well, I'm sure well, you listen. No one, no one yeah. likes me mostly. They listen to the podcast for you and Scott. That's fine. Um, oh, uh, strong disagree. That's true. No, no, you, you, you know, you, you were, you were, you were getting the same tweets that I was getting in the poll during. The post uh, they, they, they just tagged me. There was a lot of, there was a lot of love. There was a lot of love. <laughs> there out was. There. There's uh, been a lot of love, and I really, we really do appreciate it. But um, as this, uh, as this dark period in baseball continues, we will be here. I can uh, assure you of that. Uh, and yeah, that's what to find us is to, to subscribe, and then the show just pops up whenever it is, whether it be us or Sean or Road to Atlanta or whatever's going on. Thank you for listening, everybody, and we'll see you whenever we see you again. Okay.